You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Lisa Randall. She's the author of Warped Passages, and her newest book is Knocking on Heaven's Door, How Physics and Scientific Thinking Illuminate the Universe and the Modern World. She has a recent CNN opinion piece and a piece interview in the New York Times about her work with the in search of the Higgs boson particle. Thank you for joining me, Lisa. Thank you. You're in Geneva now, so looks like it's going to be a big year for the Large Hadron Collider. And I think from your interview, it sounds like what what's happening is uh, it's reflected in your book. We're narrowing down the scale of where we can search for the Higgs boson particle, which is called the God particle, not because it's going to bestow upon us godlike powers, but because it is just gosh darn hard to find. <laughs> Well, I think it's called the God Particle because of branding, actually. <laughs> I don't think it's any of those things. I mean, it is critical to how particles get their, uh, elementary particles get their masses. So it's a very fundamental element. Um, well, the Higgs mechanism, I should say, is a fundamental element. The Higgs boson is sort of a vestige of that mechanism. It's one possible vestige. So it's something that would establish that we understand what we're talking about or tell us exactly how it happens. But the Higgs boson is really, again, it has to be borne in mind that the Higgs boson is one possible uh, piece of evidence um, for the Higgs mechanism, but it's one that we certainly are narrowing down on experiments are looking, and they have a very narrow range where it can appear. There seems to have been some evidence, especially from one of the experiments, but this year there'll be four times the amount of data, so we'll know a lot more. Could you talk about, uh, you're there in Geneva now uh, working with uh, some of your uh, other scientists. Talk about the scientific community and how you guys work together and sift through all this evidence. Are you all going through the same thing at the same time, looking for the same evidence? Are you dividing it up? Well, first of all, I'm not an experimenter. Experimenters are really the ones who go through the data Mm -hmm. and look through what's happening. I mean, theories... We enter, it's sort of at a higher level, and I don't mean that in a kind of funny way. I mean, we'll, we'll find out what they found and see, is there some interpretation that makes sense? And we can also suggest to them what they can look for. I mean, there's some things that are sort of well-known. I mean, looking for the Higgs boson is, in fact, one of them. But sometimes you might have a particular way of searching or a variation on how it might appear. Like I said, the Higgs boson is one example of what you can see, but there could be variations on the properties of the Higgs boson, or it could even be a different type of particle or sector. So what we as theorists do is suggest what are the various things they should be looking for and how to interpret data. But the experiments, and of course experimenters might think about that themselves, but they're also going through and trying to, you know, basically pull out um, a needle in a haystack. I mean, they have a lot of data that isn't the interesting event. It's merely standard model things that are predicted. What they're trying to do is go through and see if there's something new there and there are particular ways they have for doing that. So I guess in terms of the interaction, the experimenters will divide up into various ways of looking for things, particular particles, particular modes of decay, for example. So they're very big collaborations, but there'll be someone who's in charge of 
the exposome search or the Higgs boson in particular channels, in particular decay modes. Um, Cirrus, on the other hand, are sort of more flexible in what they're doing. We can say, this looks interesting, and I can think about it tomorrow if I feel like it or today, or I can work on something else for a little while. But, of course, we're all talking to each other and sharing ideas as well. Well, this sounds really ex- like an exciting uh, milieu to work in because uh, it's so much the culmination of so much uh, hard work on your part and the part of your uh, co-experimenters in uh, getting this technology set up and understanding it and understanding how to work up, work through it, and also to just set up the kind of the social systems to and uh, data information systems to get this stuff back and forth. That's right, and, and actually, you're right. The computer process, um, setting up the right computing, is is one of the really critical elements. And I think it's pretty widely known by now that the World Wide Web came out of CERN because um, people wanted a way for large collaborations to be able to work with each other in efficient ways. And so, actually, um, another thing that's being developed now is called the grid, where data can be analyzed all over the world, um, sort of sort of the way information is shared instead of processing is shared. So. The computing power is, is one of the important things to try to make it as efficient as possible. But I have to say, you know, there are just times when there's nothing that replaces just being in the same room and talking to someone about something. It's going to feel pretty well. That's one of the things I, I think is so interesting about your book because you, you do talk about this, about the um, importance of, of setting up communications with just your fellow scientists. Now, how much of a language barrier is there? Is there a lingua, lingua franca at, the, at CERN? Well, it's not just a turn. I mean, you should keep in mind, I mean, particle physicists all over the world are, are doing similar things. We all take similar classes as students. We all end up doing... Of course, when you develop something new, you have to establish some language for it. But And sometimes the language influences, um, you know, your ability... It's, a, it's important to get, the, to get the words right, because that obviously helps. But there's also math and equations to back you up a lot of the time. So you might have some formalism that describes what's going on as well. So, um, so I think you know more or less we speak the same language, and that helps a lot. Obviously, I mean one of the challenges in speaking to the public, of course, is um, trying to figure out how to use these words that we use in a very particular way, um, and to convey that to convey exactly what it is that we're talking about. Well, I, that's one of the things I think your book is so good at, and you're quite good at it as well. Is uh, uh, acting as a conduit to the public. And, and this is, I think, very important for science right now because science is reaching into levels of complexity and un- beginning to understand aspects of reality that heretofore were uh, essentially the uh, the realm of the spiritual be- beliefs. I, I just spoke with uh, Michael Gazaniga about his brain research and you know wondering what whether there's free will. And a lot of that involves high-level particle physics. Well, I don't think we understand those questions that well just yet. I think we know that there's a lot of mysteries out there that people are, are really beginning to attack. Um, but I do think it's important um, when you have this research that... I, I think it's important that people have a sense of where it's going, why the questions are important, what it is we're trying to do. So when something like a Higgs boson announcement happens, people get excited, which was really nice to see. They get some sense of... What, what is this particle? What is its place in, in the world? And just, um, it, it is hard to understand unless you have some translation going on. And I have to say, you know, for me, um, it's something you learn by talking to people, just seeing um, 
but it's also an opportunity to be creative to try to think, is there another way of saying something in ways that people can understand better? You know, this leads us to your article for CNN, which I think is was really so important about um, the way Americans view science and the, and the way Americans need to uh, understand science thinking and getting it funded, because uh, we live in a, in a country where science is, is falling back to, to a degree, and I think your perceptions of this are really interesting because as our economy becomes more complex, as our world becomes more complex, the kinds of solutions that we need will come from the same realm that you're working in, advanced mathematics, theoretical physics. Well, I think um, the other thing to keep in mind, though, and I think people sometimes mistrust science, is that science isn't just about working out that complex math. It's also making sure we're asking the right questions, mm. um, understanding uncertainties, really being sure of what we understand and what we don't understand. That's also part of the scientific method. So I think sometimes people get mistrustful because they see someone take something to an extreme without thinking of a bigger picture, but that's actually part of science, too. And it's important... I would say today, given that we have methods, with such difficult problems that we face and such challenging problems that we want to use all the tools at our disposal. So I definitely definitely appreciate um, your statements, and, and thank you for that. Well, one of the things I think that is really important is that in America right now, um, we have to we have you know a series of priorities. We really have to figure out what we want to do, what we want, how we want to. Uh, spend what limited money we have and to understand you know the the return on investment that we get on science is a, a lot bigger than I think most people tend to believe it is it's also very difficult to make precise and that's also just very important to understand and also it could depend on what time scale we're talking about um, it's not something that you can often predict I mean it's sort of on the average it's clear that we benefit from scientific advances in ways that we rarely anticipate. Um, that is to say, basic science is basic science, and then it often leads to new and wonderful developments, but we don't often know what those will be at the time. So, you know, I think in, in hard times, you get, get prone to think, okay, what do we get out of this right away? But the things we know we get are interested, motivated, educated populists who often will end up doing really important things in the future. So I think that's important to bear in mind, and we can go through the specifics of what we got from any particular um, development. The fact that, in some sense, the electronics revolution came out of development of quantum mechanics, and it doesn't get more abstract than that. So I think it's really important to bear that in mind and to not, you know, cut off the roots. One of the things that you just pointed out, too, is how hard it is to foresee what the outcome of any particular line of study is going to be. And this gets back to this, uh, I think, really important uh, thought that you mentioned earlier, that we have to learn to ask the right questions. And that's a lot more difficult than it seems, isn't it? It, it can be, and I think it, but we have to recognize the importance of it. I mean, sometimes solving a problem is, is easier than finding the right problem and solving that one. And that's something we have to keep, keep in mind. And two, one thing I was just thinking, too, that one of the things that I think science does really well is because it's based on a kind of an under uh, underbed of, you know, facts, figures, uh, 
math that this facilitates communication between people of different nationalities with different, you know, spiritual beliefs, different national beliefs, that it creates a, a sense of unity of purpose um, across uh, uh, in, on an international scale that I think is helpful and promising. Well, I think that's one of the things that CERN has shown us, and CERN is truly an international collaboration. I mean, it's primarily European, but now it has partners from all over the world, and including the United States in some sense. I mean, we're not really part of it, but we're certainly involved in the experiments. But it, it's quite an incredible thing if you think about it. It started off with eight member countries, I believe there's 20 now, and they really all do work together um, to create this amazing machine. And you'll be uh, hopefully giving us some great news from that machine sometime this year. And I look forward to hearing from you again, Lisa. Thank you for giving me a call. I appreciate that, and I do too. (laughs) Thank you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.